Welcome back to Soulback. This is the R&B Podcast. Kyle here, back with Ed. Ed, where is Tom this week? Oh, Tom, he's off somewhere. He got a, the bat signal went up. But for Tom, it's not a bat signal. It's just a signal of an unseasoned piece of chicken. And it's just up in the sky. And he went running off because he had to fill his belly with some chicken that's not fried. What a weirdo that Tom is. <laughs> Jeez. Well, Ed, we have a lot to talk about in R&B this week, but I got to hit you right off the top with this question. I was thinking about it all last night, and I got to ask you because you will know. Okay. We always talk about the legacy of R&B and each generation's R&B. Will people remember the mindless behavior Jacob Lattimore and Diggy Simmons era of R&B, Ed? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I had forgotten about that era. Here's the thing about Nostalgia Player. There will always be a market for nostalgia. So there will be, I promise you, and give it another 10 years or so, and there will be a rabbit fan base looking for a reunion of Mindless Behavior and that crew. Especially Diggy and those guys. They will... Definitely have their fans. Will it be as will they be as celebrated as some of the other artists of the nineties and early two thousands? Absolutely not. But I think if they all got together and did a little tour or something, they definitely could dig up a few fans out the woodwork. There is nostalgia for everything. I promise you. But will it yeah, be see, remembered era- as this great? Will it be remembered as a great era of R and B? Absolutely not. See, like, I don't, I barely remember that era because I don't think 106 was as big as it used to be at that time. And I can't even name any mindless behavior songs off the top of my head. Were they big on the charts? I don't recall them being that. Well, as we've, as we've talked about a thousand times, like, they did okay if I'm remembering well. I think maybe their first album did well. But again, a lot of times, the charts don't always measure hype and everything else you would think from 106 and park that b2k was the greatest group of all time charts don't necessarily reflect that but you're right mindless behavior kind of came on the scene right in 106's dying days either it was about to go away or it just gone away but they had they definitely had their little fan base and it was pretty rabid i think if they came a little later they might have gotten some bigger buzz get some of that um what's the um What's the the band? Oh, I'm blanking on them. The the dudes from the K-pop dudes that everybody loves. Uh, that BTS. Twitter goes crazy over. Yes, those dudes. If they had waited a little bit to get some of that social media love, oh, mindless behavior would be black Twitter crazy. But they missed out on that wave. So I'm sure they had a little bit of success, but they weren't burning up the charts. Absolutely not. Why on earth did you think of mindless behavior? Um, I don't know. I was just trying to reflect back on that era of music because two um two other questions came to mind here, and that was uh number one, do you think music videos still matter in twenty twenty like is it still necessary for an artist to do so? I asked the people on Twitter and I got a huge range of responses. My personal take is I'm it's sure. not necessary anymore uh just because i feel like everyone just films it with their iphone and it looks really bad so why even bother but what do you think are you on youtube searching up new music videos ed i will tell you this i actually was up until it's only been in the past three or four years what i would literally do and again i am not the typical music fan when bt and all those channels died and there were no more music videos but i still loved them probably probably early 2010s or so i was doing this when I saw on social media that so-and-so dropped a video, I would write it down. I had a notebook. And once the notebook filled up, I would just take like a Saturday and just go through and watch all the videos. And that's how I watch videos. But that does not happen anymore. I think the art of the video is still viable, but like everything, it has evolved. Now you see videos. Think of the Drake and Chris Brown video. You didn't necessarily have to see the video to see pieces of those videos as memes all over the place. Like you saw a gif of Drake doing that thing with his hand. Like I don't even know what he was doing. I've never watched a full video. But if if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. He's doing that, oh girl, or something with his hands. 
that is what videos are now. They're just these weird things that can be chopped up into gifts. And then that way you can get memes going and then you can get people to check out the video. So as always, it's evolving with the times and used as a medium. But as far as videos like we used to know, them, nope, those days are long gone. Now you just use them to hopefully get some traction on social media and get to trend for a day or so. That's what it's all about, becoming a hashtag for six hours. And I'm just thinking, I don't think music videos are as creative as they used to be or maybe as memorable. Like, don't you remember, and I know I'm going back to Usher, but that 8701 era, like, I still remember that you remind me, you got it bad and you don't have to call it. Just it being a sequence one after the other and it told a story. And I still remember the scenes from each music video, like Usher sitting in his car and his car was bouncing to the beat. Like, I still remember that stuff. I, I don't remember any music videos that came out recently aside from the meme-worthy uh, moments. Right, because there, the level of creativity isn't put into it. We talked about on the Soul and Serial Cypher over on Facebook. Come join us on Facebook if you haven't already. But we talked about this about a month or so ago, about how Videos are one of two things. Either they are these weird artistic videos that you have no idea what's going on because it's like some weirdo art deco thing. Solange is the master of those. And then you have ones like Drake's Hotline Bling, where if you're watching it as a video, it makes absolutely no sense. It's just an idiot dancing around in a colored room. But if you chop it up into GIFs and memes... Then all of a sudden, you got some magic. And people are like, where'd you get that gift from? Oh, it's the Drake video. Oh, Drake's got a video? I'm going to check it out. So those are pretty much the two mediums. And because those two extremes, it's not like the 8701 era videos where it's like a series of videos that tell a story. Or even the, um, what's the thing, the Mr. Big Contagious video where it's like a soap opera thing which there's no sort of narrative there anymore it's just flashy images that can be chopped up and distributed for 15 seconds on social media such is life yep so let me ask you this i'm going to hit you with one more question here and this one i've really been thinking about which music video looks better rock with you by ashanti or officially missing you by tamia oh my god <laughs> That Why elephant do I egg? have conversations? Shoutouts to the elephant. That if I think this is the only time in life that Kyle wishes he was an elephant. <laughs> but I anyway. I have to go with Tamia, but Ashanti was peak Ashanti on that video. Even I will admit this. Thank you. Uh but uh, on to more serious matters, Tom Joyner, uh, she, he, he, radio host, just retired recently, and he made a pretty interesting comment. He said that radio isn't relevant anymore, and it's due to just the accessibility that is upon us, how, how, how easy it is to access everything. Is radio still relevant, Ed? Uh, I hate to say it, but I don't really think it is. It's terrible to say. I don't think so. I come from an era, my wife talks about this all the time, Like she, we've definitely come from the era of coming home from school, turning on the radio, the radio is with you all through the night, you're making mixtapes, I'm ta talking with actual tapes that you put the little pencil in and you wind it up if it, if it gets unwound, you make, you record stuff off of the radio, there's still songs today that I've recorded off the radio and because the song ends and then like the DJ comes up and starts talking, when I hear the song on like an MP3, I expect the DJ to come back up. So you don't have that. And I understand that it's just a different part of our culture. But radio isn't there. We're, we're old school. We still measure things by radio success and singles and where did it chart and blah, blah, blah. And how did it get up there? I just don't think it matters like it used to. Sad but true. Yeah, because I remember, I'll give you a story here. When I was younger, I actually sat at the radio station every week and I listened to like the top 40 countdown just to see where a song would land on that chart. And then I would get, you and me I would both? get mad when Ashanti's Foolish was at like number three instead of number one. Oh, but God. we don't have those moments anymore. 
It's it's all about no. just whatever we see on social media. We just click on it and listen. There's no there's no need to have to wait for anything anymore. You know what I miss on a related note, and I thought about this this past New Year's Day. BT used to have the notarized countdown with the hundred best videos of the year. Do you remember this? Yep. Yep. I missed that so much. I would never watch a New Year's Eve because I was usually out or doing something. But New Year's Day, they would replay it. And New Year's Day, that was my tradition. While I'm taking down the Christmas decorations or whatever, I'm watching the notarized countdown replay all through the day. And this past, I guess it was, you know, January 1st, this past January 1st, I was taking down decorations and I was watching, I don't know, something on TV. Probably like reruns of Arrow or something. I'm like, man, I miss the notarized countdown. I miss the countdown and seeing like where your favorite landed and being excited and being hyped or seeing your favorite like lowballed at number 64. You're like, what are you doing, BT? You're tripping. It should have been top 20. I miss those days. And unfortunately, we don't have them. You got that right. But on to modern and today news. This is 2020, Ed. And we're still making lists and... A couple of months ago, you made a list of the top 50 greatest R&B artists of all time. Do you remember this list? Well, it wasn't of all time, but it was like after like the 90s or something. Yes, I remember this list. And you remember putting Bruno Mars in that top 50? Yes, and I remember you and Tom whining forever about it. So, Ed, I'd like to make an apology. <laughs> Please explain. Well, Mr. Bruno Mars, along with James Fauntleroy, we don't want to forget him. He's probably one of the best writers that we've seen in R&B in the last decade or so. They co-wrote Charlie Wilson's new single, My Forever Valentine and Ed. Man, this record right here is just that amazing. It oh, yeah. sounds like classic I- R&B, what we missed. But, man, the vibe of it, whew, it, it's on fire. It's about time you give my man Bruno props. He is, I don't care that he's a little pop art, a little pop dude, and he was doing a little pop records. He's doing R&B better than your R&B favorites. That's just facts. And you're right. I love this record. When you heard it, you hit me up. You were going crazy like it's going to be the 2020 song of the year. We will see. It's like not even the end of January yet, but... We have a contender for sure. I love it because it just sounds so pure and heartwarming. And most of all, as we were saying last week, there is emotion. You feel what Charlie is saying. This isn't somebody sleepy talking over something or mumbling a bunch of nonsense lyrics. This is heartfelt, well-written lyrics and delivered in a way that you passionately feel them. That is what R&B has always been about. It's always been about emotion. That's why the song's about love and pain and happiness and success and whatever, whatever. It's not this sleepy, vibey fog that we've been tricked into believing that that's what it should sound like. What it should sound like is emotion. And that's what my man Charlie gives. He's been giving it for decades. Bruno is a beast. Shout out to James. This is a hit player. And we got to give another another shout out to Charlie Wilson, who sounds great on the record. Not good, but great. He's singing on it. And that's a Absolutely good start to 2020. Singing. Yes. If this is what we're like in the, store for, look, it could be a pretty banner year. Like the only thing I'll complain about for that song, I don't, and it's not really even a complaint, is sometimes the lyrics are a little ABC elementary, but... Hey, some of the greatest R&B songs weren't super complex. So I think that's the one thing to take away when we're listening to all these new R&B songs and everyone wants to be all deep and and woke is you don't need that. You just need a song that will provide the message that you need, that's produced well, that's sung well. And Charlie Wilson did it right there, Ed. Well, here's the thing. A lot of this stuff that people are talking about as well-written and woke is not at all. Just because it sounds like something off your Facebook feed that your woke koofy wearing friend posted does not mean it's deep. It's just complicated and confusing. Like Jay-Z said, just because you're wearing a koofy don't mean you're bright. So a lot of this stuff does not phase your boy. I do get what you're saying about the lyrics, though. It does feel a little 
I don't want to say amateurish because that's definitely not at all. It's simplistic may be the best way to put it. But for the song, it works. It's simplistic in the right way. It's not simplistic in the preschool way. But it just tells a very clear cut story about, hey, I'm treating my girl like it's Valentine's Day every day. That's all I ask. Just a little bit of emotion. Just something you can play for your girl on Valentine's Day. Charlie gave y'all a blessing. Well, let me ask you this, Ed. And I think the positive to the lyrics being quite simple is that it's memorable, that people can sing along to it. And Ed, I went on record to say this is going to be this decade's adorn. And I know we're two weeks into the decade, and I might be jumping the gun. But Ed, where do you see this song charting? Do you think this will cross over? Because melodically and sonically, it sounds like it could. But again, Charlie Wilson is not 20 years old, so... Uh, that might well, change that narrative, but man, this song is a hit. Where do you see this ending up? Is this going to be another Urban AC record? It's going to be an Urban AC record. Sorry, player. It'll be number one there. And again, I hate that we have to categorize it like this because not at all do I want to take anything away from this song. But let's just be honest. This is a young man's game, and even though he has the backing of Bruno, Bruno's on the you know kind of singing background or whatever. If he had a more prominent place in the song, maybe he could kind of get some mainstream buzz. But unfortunately, we live in this weird era where people will just dismiss something just simply because of age. And you know how that bugs me? And I'm going to go on one of my rants. And if you got beef, go to E.T. Bowser on Twitter. I've been getting people fired up all week. Let me tell you something about my generation a little bit so I sound like a really old guy. The thing that I do I, that drives me crazy about the current generation of music fans is how dismissive we are of our legends. It is so disrespectful. I don't want to hear because, for instance, I came up. I'm an 80s baby. I came up in the 90s. A lot of my music fandom was early 90s. That was past the heyday of like a Stevie Wonder or something like. We never said Stevie Wonder trash. Stevie Wonder fell off. We never said Sam Cooke garbage. I remember in the (laughs) early 2000s, Luther had a hit. Luther came back in the early 2000s. So under that blueprint, yes, Charlie should be able to come back in 2010 if he had a hit. And he does. Will he? No. Because the newest generation of fans will not really give him a chance. When it comes to that. Also, there are other factors at play. R&B really ain't popping in the building like it used to be. Whatever, whatever. But I don't feel like that this current generation is as willing. Not everybody. If you're listening to this podcast, you are not the normal R&B fan. So I know everybody listening is like, well, I would. Of course you would. You're listening to this podcast. You're a smarter breed of R&B fan. But the normal R&B fan will not give a veteran artist the time of day because they owed and they fell off and they washed. How dare me say Otis? I'm not an Otis Redding fan, but I would never be like, Otis is washed. Man, go away. Hmm. Well, Ed, I've just got one counter argument to that. Go ahead. They didn't have the internet, and. Very true. Unfortunately, thanks to the internet, we have. Given everybody and everybody's opinion is important, but everybody's opinion ain't got the same amount of weight, player. And unfortunately, everybody's opinion thinks they are the same amount of weight. Some of y'all don't know what you're talking about. That's just facts. Wait a minute, isn't that counter argument? Didn't I just quote Jacques there? Isn't that what he said to Keith Sweat once upon a time? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to um, go ahead and book this flight to Vancouver so I can deliver these hands to your doorstep to dare bring up Jock <laughs> Weiss and Keith again. But yes, that was Keith. Look at, and remember how poised Keith was during that conversation and how Jock Weiss was jumping around like a little gnat? That's how I feel like our dynamic is right now. I'm Keith, and you, Jock Weiss, <laughs> talking crazy. And I'm trying my best oh, not to boy. bother you. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I kind of want to hear more Charlie Wilson, Bruno Mars music on Charlie's new album. We often joke that Charlie's albums have been the same for the last four. It's like half a joke. Sometimes it's true, but I'm actually really curious now, Ed. 
because this record doesn't necessarily sound like a 24k magic reject i think that cardi b and bruno record that sounded like it was a reject this sounds like it was something fresh that they went into the studio and made together so maybe bruno's sound is evolving to a new place and i'm actually really interested to see what he does on his next project because like you know ed his albums have changed in sound every album so I'm actually interested to see if he sticks in this R&B route or if he switches it up completely and goes like rock or something on us. Yeah, um, shout out to my man DJ Soulchild. He brought up this conversation a few months ago, just kind of figuring out where Bruno goes next. He's had so much success in this R&B realm in my heart. And really, this is a lot of this is wishful thinking. I don't think that he just goes totally left just yet. I mean, we see that he produced this for... Charlie and it sounds different but still in the vein of his other projects so I could see him hanging around a little bit just because he just opened himself up to such a new audience but you never know so I mean he is an art if you listen to every one of his albums and I have they sound nothing alike they all have different sounds the first one was pop the second one was more funk then we went with New Jack so who knows he could be doing Neo Soul next never tell with this guy but he's got my ears. So I'll be checking it out either way. Listen, if Bruno Mars brings back ballads to radio, like R&B ballads, I will put him, Ed, in my top ten of all time. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I'll go that far. But at least you will see what a brother's talking about. You need to follow my lead. I'm trying to bring you and Tom into where things are going. Listen to your boy. Actually, no, I'm just going to listen to Confessions 2 when it comes out. Thank you very much. Oh, my. You and this Confessions 2. I pray that this album actually winds up being decent and we don't just get the one LMA song and 17 trap songs. Well, actually, I kind of hope we do just see your head explode. Oh, boy. (laughs) Um, Another record that came out this week, Ed. Uh, Her, her song Slide. Do you know that song? It's been on the radio for quite some bit with YG. Uh, she threw a remix out with Cousin Chris, a boogie with a hoodie, and some rapper that I'm not familiar with. I'm just going to pull up the name, but Ed, is this remix all about the streams? Is that what this remix was done for? It's all about the streams. I haven't heard the remix myself. With that crew up there, I will not be rushing to hear it. Trust me. But, I mean, to be fair, you can't criticize. We've, we've seen this before. You remember the, the Brandy remix that had Latifah and Yo-Yo and MC Light on it. Like, this... It's not at all something out of the ordinary. It's just kind of how the game goes. You release a record, then you kind of switch it up, give it a more hip-hop feel. It is what it is. Sometimes it works well. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you get a SWV with Wu-Tang and it's hot. Sometimes you get a just bag of mess, which this kind of sounds like. But I will reserve judgment until I hear it. Uh, The other rapper's name is Pop Smoke. What do you know about Pop Smoke? Pop Smoke? I have no idea who Pop Smoke is. Damn. <laughs> that means we're getting old. We don't know rappers anymore. <laughs> Clearly not. I, if I don't know a rapper, then it's... Gee. Is, is he a real rapper or is he somebody's cousin? He's probably a boogie with a hoodie's cousin. It's possible. <laughs> but, hey, let me ask you this. With this record, this slide record, which is a lot different than, I would say, some of other her, of hers records. It's a, it's a little more trendy. Um, it mm-hmm. has that West Coast bounce to it, which makes sense because she's from the West Coast. But let's say this song ends up being the one that, you know, finally gets her album out. Are you as excited for the album knowing that this was the lead single? I still am because my issue with her, and I've been more vocal about this as time goes on. As you know, you and I were early her adapters. We, from the volume one, we were like, okay, old girl has something. But as time has gone on and we've gotten mixtape after mixtape after mixtape, her sound to me, I'm sorry, is just getting a little stagnant because we're getting the same thing over and over again. I've wanted her to diversify. And like it or not, this is a little bit of diversification. I still think that if she comes out with a real legit LP eventually, that hopefully it will have some of the classic her sound on it with a little bit of diversity on it. So I don't think that if this slide thing blows up, we'll get 20 slide songs. I hope that we don't fall into the Tanache trap here. But I give them enough hope that if this is something that her fans wants to hear, 
she can kind of play with that sound a little bit and give them some of the classic her stuff. But she's been giving us so much of the classic her stuff for so long that it's kind of getting a little old. She's got to switch it up. It's just interesting to me how Summer Walker got an album out before she did, even though hers been out for much longer. But, you know, I think every artist has a different plan and a different release date. So we'll see what happens with her. I think the album's dropping this year. At least I hope it is. You said that but last I know an year, album. So we'll see. <laughs> That's true. But, Ed, I know an album that might potentially be coming out very, very soon. And you'll be very excited about this one. Drew Hill. Now, are we getting it finally? Like, give me some details on this. Because this is another one we've been talking about for a long, long time. Well, the biggest holdup to this was figuring out what the release strategy was. And it's just been announced recently that they're going to be doing their Unsung in February. And historically, what it looks like is the artist puts out their project right around that time. Because it's like the only national media coverage that they get. Uh, in their career as of right now. Um, so they're going to do that. And then Cisco also said that they're working on a biopic, which Ed, mm. I'm going to ask you, first of all, are you excited about this album? I know you are. You know I am. I have been waiting for this a long time. I'm a huge Drew Hill stan. I'm an even bigger player stan. You know I've been waiting for this one, player. And then this biopic... Are you excited for a Drew Hill biopic? I, I feel like there are a lot of stories that people might not know about or it never really got brought to light, like how Cisco went solo but he didn't actually want to go solo or even the whole radio station where Woody ends up leaving the group ra- like randomly. Like, There's a lot of interesting stories here, Ed. There's a lot of meat on the bone. And I mean, some people may remember when my man Keith Sweat had the reality show with the Drew Hill guys and it kind of dove into a lot of these unsung stories, so to speak. No, no pun intended. But I think that there is a possibility for a good biopic here just because they're a beloved band that we know has a lot of stories that have not come to light. But... The problem that I worry about with a lot of these are they can be so hit and miss. For every incredible one, we get one like that horrid Tupac one or the awful Aaliyah one. So it has to be (laughs) something where all parties are on board. There's someone that's actually a great writer and that they're being legit and honest with their stories and not trying to cover up and make some people look like heroes and other people look like villains. This is It could be good. It could be a disaster. But I'm... Hold now, hold. Hey, do you remember when Drew Hill broke up live on that radio station and Cisco like threw a hissy fit? <laughs> you know I do. What a mess that was. I think that it may be that like at the beginning of the reality show, they even showed like it. I remember seeing like a longer version because it was like a YouTube version. And then I saw like a longer version of what happened somewhere. But yes, I want to see that on the screen because that was awful. Yeah, that was uh, that's one of the more memorable moments in R and B when it comes to like yes. this current era of R and B, this reality era. Um, so we'll see what happens with that, Ed. I'm actually really looking forward to it. But I've got some exciting news for you, Ed. Mariah Carey and the Neptunes, as well as a couple of others, were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Let's start out with Mariah Carey here, Ed. Because she has always stated that she wants to be recognized as a singer-songwriter. Most of the times, stands, everyone in general has always just looked at her as a singer. But her pen game is it's pretty strong here, Ed. It's pretty strong, and it's actually extremely underrated. There is, we were talking earlier about kind of the power of songwriting and what's missing in kind of today's music. And one thing that I miss is, and we saw it a little bit on Mariah's Caution album, and it kind of popped back to my memory. But she has like this almost poetic poetic way of writing that you definitely do not hear at all anymore. And hearing Caution, that her last release, reminded me that she was pretty good at it. Sometimes it's a little too flowery for me because I'm like, what are you talking about? You making up words. But other times when it hits, it hits. Her pen on the Butterfly album, of course, one of the best. I think that as a writer, she just does not get her due. So this is our ability to give that woman the flowers while she can. Because the lady can write. 
Well, Ed, do you remember the song It's Like That off The Emancipation with Batman Scoop? Mm-hmm. Is this line Hall of Fame worthy? Them chickens is ash and I'm lotion. <laughs> As I said, Mariah has her ups and downs. Sometimes you just got to laugh it off. <laughs> Wait, actually, John T. Austin wrote that line. My bad. Mariah is off the hook for that one. <laughs> I don't know. It still feels kind of it feels kind of Mariah-ish. I feel like she might have been leaning on my man John's shoulder and was like, "Throw that in," because I can definitely hear Mariah yeah. saying that somebody's ash and she's lotion. Yep. <laughs> All right. The other uh, inductees into the Hall of Fame: VA's own Ed, the Neptunes. So let me ask you my this: you, You've talked about how you've talked about how much Missy Elliott means to you as a fellow VA. Citizen, what do the Neptunes mean to you? Very much the same. Missy will always have a place in my heart because she is from my city. Like she is from down the street. I know where she lives. She went to the school where my mom not necessarily worked. It's weird. Like her high school is attached to the public library. It's like on the other side. My mom worked at the public library and Missy went to the school over there, and she's very close to my age. So wait, hold, Missy hold always up. says your mom knows Missy Elliott. No, she didn't know her, know her. But you oh, know, okay. if you went to the library, you know my mom because my mom has worked at this library like thirty years. So yes, my mom and Missy, I'm sure, have crossed paths. But my mom don't know her, know her. Anyway, so wow. of course, through all that, you had. My boys, the Neptunes, over in Norfolk doing their thing, Val Beach, more specifically. So not necessarily like Portsmouth, where I was, but these are, again, hometown boys. And the thing that they say about those Virginia boys and girls, there is something in the water. Because the creativity that comes out of my region is unparalleled. Even in the early 90s, before they were the Neptunes, the stuff that they were doing for SWV and rump shaker and all that stuff sounded like nothing else and they have always that has always been if you're from virginia it means that you've got this next level creativity and they have continued to fly that banner very high absolutely so they're going to be inducted into the hall of fame songwriting hall of fame and chad has announced that him and pharrell will be reuniting as the neptunes and they will work full-time together which, you know, they actually worked together on Snoop's uh, Bush album, and they were also on Justin Timberlake's Man of the Woods. So they did some work on there, but they really want to do this full-time. Ed, the first act that they're going in with is Megan The Stallion. Does that excite you? <sighs> if anybody can get me to care about Megan The Stallion, it's the Neptunes. I don't, I'm, I'm not hyped about the Megan thing. It's... I know everybody loves her and she's the greatest thing ever, but she is like the most 3.5 out of 5 mediocre rapper in the game right now. Yes, she's pretty. Yes, she has a good song here or there, but she has done nothing to excite me. But if the Neptunes can give her enough heat behind her, they can elevate her mediocrity to something hot. And speaking of Megan, let me um, tell you a little bit while I'm salty again. So, I don't know if you saw it, but she released this video this past week of her in the, I don't know, the stallion kitchen making breakfast or something, which is just her and her girls in booty shorts jumping around. But guess what okay. song they're jumping around to? I don't want to ask. Boy, what song? Your boy, Justin Bieber's Yummy. That payola is fine. High in this past week, boy, I tell you. <laughs> Well, you got to give it to Justin. If you have the money, you got to push it, Ed. I guess. If no one wants to buy your record, we're just getting Megan Thee Stallion and her friends to jump around in their booty shorts to your song. He is determined to get his number one record. <laughs> right. Ed, let me ask you this about the Neptunes. Because we've always seen peaks and valleys with every producer, whether it's Tim, whether it's Pharrell... Jermaine Dupri, they all have hits and then they quote-unquote fall off and then they reemerge and then they're the sound of radio again. Can the Neptunes do it in 2020? And I ask this because their track record over the last couple of years, like Man of the Woods, 
which I thought, which I still think today is not is not as bad as everyone made it out to be. Um, and then it's I remember not. the Ariana Grande album, Sweetener, that came out. Everyone was going at Pharrell. All those Ariane, Ariana fans were going at Pharrell saying, you've ruined her career. So do you think the Neptunes have a shot or do you think their sound is too complex for the kids out here today? Uh, that is a good point about the sound being too complex. That it's even though it sounds ridiculous, that is a good point. But I still have hope. I remember when Tim had that gigantic run in the mid two thousands with Justin Timberlake and Nelly Furtado and all of them. At that point, people were starting to write him off because he had you know Beat Club and that didn't really work out too well. So people were like, oh, you know, we're so quick to say someone fell off. So he had this career resurgence. And we were like, oh, Tim's doing it again. Even though Neptunes have not been as high profile as they've been, I mean, really, really 15 years or so, they've still been out here working. They've been doing great work. And I think that they still got some more hits on them. I think they could pull it off. Do I think they're going to be at the top of the charts with, like, producing eight of the top ten songs on Billboard Top Ten? I don't know about that. But I definitely think they got some hits on them. Ed, those were the glory days. You would hear Milkshake, and then you would hear, like, Holla Back Girl, and then you'd hear Drop It Like It's Hot. Oh, man. Yeah, the Ludacris and the Moneymaker and the Good Lord. Like, they were just unbeatable. Yep, exactly. Now, Ed, there is one artist that I want to see reunite with the Neptunes here. We've seen Justin Timberlake work with them recently, but I want to see Khalees. Can we see Khalees with the Neptunes? I'm okay with seeing Khalees with the Neptunes. I don't know, honestly, what the story is there where she and the Neptunes have kind of parted ways. It's been forever and ever. What, 2003 or four since they've done some stuff together? It's been a minute. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the yeah. holdup is, but we definitely could see that. Khalees is another artist who just pops up here and there, but even though she doesn't rule the chart, she always has substance. Man, take it back to the um, 1999 days. I'm here for it. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Someone out there, if you know why Khalees and the Neptunes don't work together anymore, please comment below. <laughs> um, yeah, let us know. What else do we have to talk about? Yeah. Uh, Ed, I did two interviews recently. As you know, I interviewed Kay Michelle as well as Kevin Ross. Both have albums coming out at the end of the month. Um, two interesting points I took from that interview. in With, with Kay Michelle on her intro record, she said something along the lines of, uh, I left Atlantic because they wanted me to be like Mary J. Ed, here's, in, here's what's interesting. I know every artist wants to be their own person, and rightfully so, with their own artistic views, but following the blueprint of Mary J. Blige, wouldn't you just take that and become a star? Mm, it's easy to say that, but... I think when she says that they wanted her to be Mary J, I think we're probably talking, she's probably approaching it from a different way that you say it. In your mind, it's like she is a blueprint of legendary R&B success. From the label's perspective, they could be like, take these D-list knockoff Mary J songs instead of the songs you've written and sing these. So it's probably not quite following the blueprint as it is trying to make somebody a straight up carbon copy. And you know we've seen that 100,000 times in this industry. So that's probably, I mean, I can't put words in her mouth. But to me, that's what it sounds like it means. Because I know that she respects Mary J and would love to have just a piece of the success and notoriety that she's had. But I'm sure she don't want any of her cast off material. Because K. Michelle want to do K. Michelle. That's true. But, man, I'd take some B-side Mary J records. But that's just oh, me. no question. No question. I would love them, but I would want them from Mary J, not necessarily from K. Michelle. All right, all right. Um, and then with Kevin Ross, I interviewed him too. And Ed, this is kind of interesting. Um, as you know, Kevin Ross does a lot of cover videos on Instagram. You're aware of this, right? Yeah, I love them. Yeah, so he does those acapella covers. And while he was at the label, and Ed, this is rather interesting, when we had him on the Soulback podcast, that was like the time he told us, he told me recently that that was around the time he was negotiating out of his deal with Motown. And he said one of the things that Motown said was they weren't fans of his cover videos because they wanted to present him as an urban AC act. And those videos, 
made him seem more kitty than Urban AC. Does that make sense to you? It, well, their perspective makes sense. Me as a fan, that makes zero sense. Because the reason why those videos are great, I mean, he's singing like, he was singing like theme songs of TV shows and stuff. I love them. But I love that he was able to connect. We talked earlier about the importance of nostalgia, showing diversity, reaching different audiences, younger audiences. He was doing all of that with those videos. Like every single beat, he was hitting all of those. You don't have to make him into Baby Keith Sweat just because you want to make him Urban AC. Just let him do him. Let the, And I know there's a marketing strategy behind all of this. But I am always of the mindset of let the chips fall where they may. If you're doing these things and you're creating an audience that is for you, why would you create a album that don't speak to that audience? That's what happens all the time to the Tanaches and to everybody else that we talk about, where they have a fan base that they've kind of created on their own. And you're like, forget them. Talk to these other people who don't even know you. And you abandon your first fan base. For an audience that ain't even rocking with you in the first place. So you a double loser. I don't agree with that mindset. I see what they're saying. I think it's why. Yeah, like for me, although I do agree with their mentality, I just feel like they didn't really know what to do with Kevin to begin with. And this might be a little political and I have great ties with both, both Motown and Kevin. But really, they were trying to push him in Urban AC, but they weren't really supporting him to do so and I think Kevin had to take it upon himself and he did something that was creative that connected with people so I don't understand why you would be mad at that because people get mad at things that aren't their creation if you get like popular or you do stuff on your own that isn't of something that you created you get mad you get your feeling hurts you feel like you're rebelling you're feeling like you're going against the game plan that's a very stupid mentality because at the end of the day Kevin Ross's name is on his material Kevin Ross's success is going to be on Kevin Ross. We're not going to say, you know, when these Twitter people start chirping like they do, they're not going to say, oh, Kevin Ross fell off because Mr. Blah Blah at Motown messed him up. They're not going to say Kevin Ross fell off because Kevin Ross fell off. This His name is out there, not everybody else's. So this is on him to show and prove and to make his career work when those other guys aren't making it work. I applaud the brother because he's doing what you're supposed to be doing. These other guys... You know, they got their their metrics and their and their plans and their their studies and their charts and their bar graphs or whatever. But if he is connecting with a fan base using his God given talent, let that man soar. And this is true, Ed. Now, are you ready to get messy? Um, always. Did you just get on this podcast for the first time? That's what we do. <laughs> Can we talk about Amory and Beyonce for a second? Oh, my Lord. I don't know if I want to talk about this. What? What now? I feel like we bring <sighs> this. Well, not here. But I feel like social media brings this quote unquote beef up every six months. All right. Hit me with it, player. Do you think Beyonce stole Amory's sound? Oh. Oh. I <laughs> I just had to ask. I've been fighting people on social media over the last two weeks, and I just need a note from you. Do you think Amory created that sound and Beyonce was like, oh, I want to take this sound and intentionally stole it? Let me give some background, because the to answer your question, I would say no, but I'm also not naive enough to be like, Beyonce would never do that. She would never. She's her own woman. Because that ain't how this works. So let me kind of break down where this feud came from. And try to put some context around it. Because y'all have... This story is like a game of telephone. Where you say one thing and at the end it ends up something else. People have like twisted this so many ways. So. Sorry, I had to get a swig. Because I'm about to go in on you. This all originated (laughs) from my original Amarie fans. Not y'all new ones. These old ones that, like me, that's been down from jump. A. Marie came out with a mixtape. Um, shoot, I can't remember. It might have been like 07. It was before the Because I, I Love it, was, it album. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It was around that time. And she had a song. I don't remember the song right now. 
but she had a song that kind of alluded to people stealing her style. Somehow that turned into people assuming that Beyonce's green light had stolen from Amory's kind of go-go with sound. Keep now it's important to keep the time frames in mind because this is where y'all screw up terribly. We talk in 2007, green light was like 06. So that's the time frames we're talking about. Somehow, so as you know, that happened. Then there was kind of like some back and forth between the two. And A. Marie came out and said, she has, I have seen it on the record where she said, I don't have no beef with Beyonce. Beefing is whack anyway. This has been documented. I have seen interviews where she said this multiple times. However, because going into the, 2000, the 2010s, as we know, my girl A. Marie kind of faded into nothing and Beyonce blew up. Somehow that story has turned into Beyonce's crazy and love record stole from A. Marie's sound. Because, refresh my memory, Kyle, crazy and love was a Rich Harrison joint, right? Correct. So we have said that Beyonce saw Amory blow up, stole her go-go style. Again, the original story I talked about was 06, 07. Crazy in Love came out in 03. Amory won't really doing the go-go thing till 05. So what kind of Avengers time travel is going on if she stole something in 06 Went back to 03 and created a record. Y'all got the Thanos. Y'all got the um the Time Stone or something. Because that ain't how time works, player. So what <laughs> happened is they have a producer that produced both sounds that sound similar. You know what? If you listen to a Timberland song and Timberland has produced stuff from Missy to Destiny's Child to... Who was that group that Too Late to Apologize, the little rock dudes, whatever their names One were. Republic. He, yes, One Republic. They have, he, is the, he has this wide range, but the beats still sound like Timberland because the producer is going to have his signature sound. So it's no surprise that Rich Harrison's sound is in both of their things. So no, I don't think that Beyonce intentionally jacked her sound because that doesn't make sense in the timeline. Did A. Marie mean to go at Beyonce in that song? Maybe. She could have reneged. She could have heard Green Light and been like, that sound like my stuff. She could have been mad about Crazy in Love. I don't know, but she said she wasn't. But y'all timeline stuff makes no sense. That's all I'm saying. Well, and thank you for that breakdown ed i I was gonna say this because when people look at green light which i do see some similarities with some of amory's records but people got to keep in mind that was not produced by rich that was produced by the neptunes i don't know if you even knew that and here's my thing is yes green light came out in 2006 that was after one thing but if you remember that awful austin powers movie that had a beyonce record on there too called work it out and that also was produced by the Neptunes, and that had horns in it as well. So, I fail to see the connection of what Beyonce is necessarily stealing. But I think it just goes back to people being confused on what song they're referring to in terms of what's being stolen. And then the other thing I'll say is this, is even though Amory and Rich work together extensively, you can't blame Beyonce if Rich wants to go and work with other artists. He worked with Kelly Rowland on a song, and... And then he worked with Tony Braxton on another song. So you can't be mad at Beyonce for that. If you're going to be mad at somebody, be mad at it. And I love this song. Tony Braxton had a song on the Libra album called Take This Ring. Now, that is a one thing clone. That is a outright one thing clone. Like straight up. So if you want to be mad at that, you can be like, yes, you stole my sound there. Because that was a copy paste deal right there. That's when them came to shell. I want to be like. Mary J joints right there. They just took the joint. They hit control on the laptop and stole that joint. So that's something that you can be upset about. However, though, like you said, that's really 
It's kind of a beef that you need to have with the producer more so than the artist. And again, artists steal stuff all the time. I'm not saying that Beyonce is above doing that because she. it wouldn't surprise me if she was like, I want an A-Marie sounding song. Because that sound was so hot, everybody was jacking it. So I'm not going to be surprised. But this mentality that Beyonce calculated so evil was like, I want to be A-Marie. And then she like, Stole all Marie, Marie stuff. Stole her dance. I've heard that she stole her dance move, which is ridiculous. Stole her dance move. Stole her face. Put on her clothes. Stole her career, and then like <laughs> booted out. And now A Marie's working at Walgreens. That is not how this happened, y'all. Did Beyonce probably jack some stuff? Probably, because everybody steals from everybody. But this whole conspiracy theory, y'all got to chill. It makes me exhausted. Well. There's that. Um, and then I'll say this, Ed, and I don't know if you agree or not. And I say this by putting a footnote saying I love Amory. I think she is incredibly talented. First two albums, incredible. Third album, actually, pretty dar- darn good as well. And she looks good. But even if Beyonce oh, wasn't in the equation, I don't think she would have been a super duper star anyway. She should have been, but it just wasn't in the cards. I, I don't think that had anything to do with Beyonce. Uh, it her her career arc had nothing to do with Beyonce. Her career arc was label politics. Like that's long documented. It ain't got nothing to do with Beyonce. I will contend though, A Marie is on my list of people who should have been. I've gone on record. I'll go on record on this podcast. The way y'all run up behind Rihanna, that is where A Marie should be to me. I thought A Marie would be at the level that Rihanna is now, and I don't want to hear. You in my mentions talking about, but A. Marie can't sing. Well, where are the vocals at Rihanna at? Because I've been looking for 15 years and I ain't found them. So I don't hear nothing about Rihanna can't sing. And no, we're not talking about vocal prowess. We're talking about performing. We're talking about creating hits. And we're talking about buzz. A. Marie had everything Rihanna had and more. But her, unfortunately, window closed much, much faster. Rihanna had a whole machine behind her, so success was certain in her terms. But A. Marie is just like my biggest what if, because she should have been so yeah. much bigger. Did you like that Jennifer Lopez song, Get Right? That was a rich song as well. No. no and that's another yeah, that's song that was a straight up yeah. clone. And I did not like that song at all. Again, why don't we bring up this when we're talking about somebody stole from A. Marie? Because Tony did. J-Lo definitely did. Beyonce may have, but it's not nearly as blatant as those two. <laughs> well, actually, Ed, for the J-Lo record, that was actually not even a... I mean, I guess when you look back now, it does sound very a ish but did you know that that song was actually an Usher record? And Jennifer Lopez took that from Usher? Get Right was an Usher record? Yeah, it was actually called Ride. I'll send it to you later. It's the same beat. And I don't know what happened with it. I think, Yeah, because Rich produced a song on the Confessions album. I think it was Take Your Hand, which I think is the worst Usher song on the album. But that's a debate (laughs) for another day. (laughs) Do you agree with that, Ed? Uh, It might be. It's not my... It's one that I don't listen to. So you might be right. So... Uh, Ride was actually going to be on that album and then Rich didn't think that Usher was going to use it so he sold the beat to J-Lo and that's how we got Get Right so even that I don't think was necessarily an Amory clone but it's just kind of interesting to see how that all unfolded here but Ed we got to stop this thing about Beyonce killing Amory's career that was completely separate but I mean it's well documented that Beyonce has taking credit for things that maybe she shouldn't but i'll say this ed as a artist of that caliber not saying it's right but it's sort of expected that they're going to try to get a piece of that pie just because they're the brand they're the, they're the name and they're going to want to make money off that song too i mean of course look what has puffy actually ever produced has anyone actually seen puff daddy produce anything but his name has been attached to everything since 1995 like, you have to put your own stamp on stuff to say, okay, this is my thing. It's business. It sucks, but it's business. So, 
Now, again, I'm not surprised. And yes, we know Beyonce has a shady history when it comes to doing stuff like that. Yes, you can holler at me on Twitter if you disagree, because facts are facts. But that's the industry at large. Again, I just don't think that Anne Marie has been beaten to death, like we like to say. I know I wanted her to be bigger, but we can't just put everything on a big, bad Beyonce boogeyman. Well, see, I don't even know if people wanted A. Marie to be big. They just don't want Beyonce to be as big. So they use A. Marie as the well, cop out. <laughs> that's actually, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head, player, because that is quite true. Because really, how many people of those that are arguing for A. Marie on Twitter actually listen to all the A. Marie albums? Now, I know there are a handful of, the, of those that do, but the majority of them, they're just hating on Beyonce. And that's the truth. Yeah. Because it's easy to hate on. I mean, they may have heard the first two A-Marie albums, but they ain't like me. They ain't got the bootlegs from Japan. Like, I can speak on A-Marie player. Don't come at me, because I got the facts behind me. Yep, they're not like me standing over the fact that her version with Trey of Pretty Brown Eyes is better than you. <laughs> I didn't say I was drinking like you are. Good Lord. A-Marie will call you a lie for that terrible take. Uh, yep. Anyways, Ed, let's get into the <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the soul back tr- album of the day. Uh, okay. Let's go with the Monica album, "The Boy Is Mine." First of all, hmm. I gotta ask you this: the fact that she named her album after the single, which technically was Brandy single, or actually Brandy created the song at first with Dark Child. Do you think that was kind of cheap of her to do? Player, I will. This has been one of these things that has bothered me since 1998. It has always bothered me to no end that she named her album after this. I don't know if there was some mix up where she thought that it was her single and she was like, okay, this, I made my album after my lead single or whatever. Or maybe she didn't know that Brandon was coming out. I know it's technically both of their songs, but. Brandy has always been pushed as it being her song. So she just comes off real weird having a song, her album named after a song where she was quote unquote featured on. I know she wasn't. I know technically it was Brandy and Monica, not Brandy featuring Monica. But yes, for 20 years this has bothered me. But what's your favorite record off that album? Because I got to go with Street Symphony. That record right there. Woo! That's probably, I, I think you're right. That's probably my favorite. I've gone on record a trillion times to talk about how much I love the year 1998. But that's probably my favorite. That's That album really is one of those ones that I like pretty much everything on. I can't think of anything that I dislike. I know you were talking on Twitter not long ago. You and Tom were discussing the best songs from this album that weren't singles. And I was like, man, I love Cross the Room. I love, I keep it to myself. There's not too much, not too many weak spots on this joint. So I love it. Street Symphony, though, might be my favorite. And then those ballads, that Space Jam song, and the the, the cover with 112. That was a solid cover right yep. there, Ed. Right Here Waiting was off of the that chain. Richard Marks. This album. Yeah, Richard Marks. That's like my dad's favorite song, too. So. <laughs> well, I'll say, and I have said this before. A lot of times when I talk about today's generation of R&B artists and I say, why on earth can't people emote and sing like they can, like from my era? And they're like, oh, well, they're young. You know, their vocals are still developing. Look, player, Monica was 15 years old when she dropped her first album. Brandy was 15, 16. Aaliyah was like in her early teens. People were singing at 15 and 16. So why are your people 25 out here still sounding like farm animals? What's the excuse? And there you have it, Ed. Are we ready to get into the play of please now, Ed? Well, yep, because I'm getting fired up. So, yeah, we need to. Uh, can we give a play of please to OT Genesis, who's been out here covering R&B songs? Keisha Cole. And then he also covered Vanessa Carlton's Thousand Miles. Have you heard those covers, Ed? <laughs> Yes, I've heard this mess. And honestly, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, I've actually been feeling a type of way about this stuff because they, thanks to OT, trolled poor Keisha right off of the Twitter. 
Like they trolled and she just had to close her account because she trolled us so bad. And I have quite an issue with that because we talk all oh, this is why the hypocrisy of Twitter gets on my nerves. If someone comes at if someone calls what was it, Ari Lennox? Someone called Ari Lennox a bulldog or something. And Twitter went crazy. It was like, oh, you're bullying or stop bullying people. Bullying is bad, blah, blah, blah. So then OT Genesis comes out with Keisha Cole's record as a goofy cover. Keisha was like, I don't like what y'all did to my record. It's her song. She has a right to say that. OT Genesis then trolls her to pieces, which encourages his stance to control her nonstop. And then she leaves Twitter. And we laugh and then say, oh, why is she run away? Oh, she can't take a joke. What's the difference? You have, Where's all that energy you had for Ari? Because you were defending her. Now we run away Keisha because Ari's hot right now. Keisha's at the backswing of her career. So it's okay to laugh at her. I was quite heated about that situation. Ed, I wish I could agree with you, but I don't. Keisha Cole blocked us on Twitter. OT Genesis, you're free to do whatever you want, and I'm here to support you. Well, you'll find something very interesting when you get off this podcast and find that I have also blocked you on Twitter. So, me and Keisha Cola have <laughs> something in common. No, man, there was this, like, post that uh, OT made that was, like, which ranked these Coles, and it was, like, J. Cole, and then Coleslaw, and then he ranked Keisha Cole last. Does Coleslaw go above Keisha Cole, Ed? Listen, that lady gave us a Just Like Me album. I will put her above all those people you name. Leave her alone. Even Coleslaw? Coleslaw Coleslaw, it depends where you go for the Coleslaw. Because some Coleslaw is chef's kiss magnifique. And some of it tastes like feet. So you got to watch where you go with Coleslaw. Hmm. Well, the next player, please, we have Ed. Uh, a lot of job shaming going on on social media this past week. Apparently, Young Jock uh, is now an Uber driver. And then Job ja Rule will do your taxes for you. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, look, the Ja Rule thing. See, this is a little different. Because Ja Rule doing your taxes. I don't know if I trust a man who had thousands of rich white kids out in the, like an island feeding them loaf bread and lunch meat to like handle my financial affairs. I just don't I don't know if I want to do that. You have broken my trust, jaw. So I don't know if I want to send you my tax stuff because if I get an audit, best believe he's going to run off like he ran off when the Firefest people came after him. So, no. I don't know if I want to do that. Now, the young jock thing, people are just being dumb. I know that it's going down was a long, long time ago. But that man got to pay his bills. Let him drive the car. We ain't got to have jokes. And the thing is, most people are joking on him, don't even have jobs anyway. So, is your job that much better than an Uber driver? Probably not. You need to let him on. He need to be hooking you up to get you that Uber hookup. And are we going to make It's Going Down by Young Jock the soul back track of the day next week? Never. That song is horrible. <laughs> All right, then. Well, Ed, what's going on with SoInStereo.com? I saw you on Facebook recently. You were doing some live feed talking about your relationship. Oh, yes. Yes. Shout out to the new thing we got going on. It's called Party of Two. It's over on Facebook. And if you are... One of the people who are on Facebook basically just as wish happy birthday to your aunt. Now you have a real reason to go on Facebook. So every Sunday we do this at um, 6 Central, which is 7 Eastern. I hope I got my times right. If not, you can just check out the page and it'll be we'll have the replay there. If you go to Party of Two on Facebook, you will find the Facebook page. And it's me and my lovely wife just discussing relationships and couple stuff and how to come together and essentially how to live life on your own terms. Last week we had a full house. It was pretty cool. Your boy Tom and his wife kind of joined the conversation. It was really fun. So go check us out on Facebook. It's called Party of Two. You'll see your boy up there. And then over on Soul and Stereo, it's the usual. We got 
Oh yeah, I forgot. We had the the surprise release from Eminem this year come out. Music to be murdered by his new album. I took a look at that. It's actually not bad at all. One of his best albums in a while. We ranked the entire discography of the legendary tribe called Quest and got a lot of good feedback on that. And when I was doing that ranking, I realized they have one of the better discographies ever. Like there's a bunch of five stars in that joint. So go check that out. And shout out to a reader who brought this up the other week. I forgot to shout out the 2019 Player Please Award. So over the holidays, a few days before Christmas, we publish our annual 2019 Player Please Award list. And you know your boy went in from 6ix9ine to Omarion and April and Lil Fizz and that situation and everything else that was chaos in 2019 is a chance for me to look back and to throw tomatoes. So check that out. Nice, nice. And then over at you know I got soul.com, like I said, I just meant uh, I just interviewed K Michelle and Kevin Ross recently. Gonna try to interview everyone and uh, go from there. So Ed, I think that's it for this week's podcast. We'll get Tom back next week. Hopefully the be- beehive is on our side and hopefully those Amory fans aren't gonna come for our throats. But we shall see. So Ed, it looks like we're out of here. We're out. We'll holler at you next week.